This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Chronic headache is one of the more challenging medical conditions we face. This condition has some of the same characteristics as one of the chronic pain syndromes, whereas the traditional medical model views pain as a problem to be treated and relieved, this model often fails when dealing with patients having chronic headaches. On the other hand, the biopsychosocial model fits patients with chronic headache much better, and when this model is used in the management, patients often have a much better outcome. This podcast is another in our series on headaches, and today we'll address the use of a cognitive behavioral approach with an interdisciplinary team in the evaluation and management of patients with chronic headaches. Our guest today is Dr. Christopher Sletton, a psychologist at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. Chris, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Daryl. It's great to be with you guys. Well, let's start by talking about the traditional medical model and how we've kind of tried, at least, to manage patients with chronic headaches using this older model. One of the places that I start with in my thinking and when I work with patients and fellow colleagues is to really delineate the difference between an acute medical problem and a chronic medical problem. I think this is always a helpful place to start in our thinking and in our discussion with patients. In my way of explaining it, an acute medical problem is something that is time-limited. We generally knows what, we know what caused the problem. We know what to do about the problem. Treatments work. And tissue damage and symptoms often match up quite well. Simple example of a broken ankle. Someone falls and twists their ankle. They feel a crack. The x-ray shows a fracture. We know that some period of immobilization is going to be warranted, and we would expect full recovery appendicitis, appendectomy, et cetera. And so most of our patients and most of us are quite familiar with the expectation that a medical provider is going to be able to elucidate what the problem is, find some palatable treatment, and we can expect the problem to be gone. As you mentioned, that is often not the case when we have a headache population. Certainly all of us have encountered someone that might get an occasional migraine and it's really not that problematic, or someone might get an occasional tension headache if they've had a particularly bad day at work or something like that, an allergy headache or something like that. But when we start to see the headaches occur more chronically, that's where we need to pivot our approach to more of the chronic orientation. And the part of the problem with the chronic orientation is it's a longstanding, perhaps even permanent problem. We're not always sure why it turned chronic. And the issue of tissue damage or, or physically notable changes becomes much less clear. The, the individual often will complain of things that are generally invisible to the practitioner and, and not really readily diagnosed with our present state of medical diagnostics. That's kind of where I start with it. And with that as a background, the traditional medical model is often looking for usually some sort of pharmaceutical agent to give to the patient to quote unquote, stop the headache. We've used this model for years, and I think that's what makes this problem so challenging to us because we often fail at effective management of these patients. And uh, yeah, we need another model. Absolutely. The other problem with the traditional pharmaceutical approach to headaches is, as probably all of the audience can attest to, most 
uh, medicines lose their efficacy in the face of a chronic headache pattern, whether it's an ergotamine and an abortive for a migraine, whether it's a preventative, whether it's another symptom treating agent. We know that the person and their system habituate to that. And so often we'll see chronic headache patients with a list as long as your arm of things they've tried and often failed at. And, and sometimes they'll even have iatrogenic consequences from that, that polypharmacy that they've been exposed to. Well, as I was reading on this topic in preparation for today's podcast, my eyes were kind of opened by the fact that there are many features of chronic headache with central sensitization. And why don't you explain to our readers what that is and why patients with chronic headaches have typical features of central sensitization? Sure. So central sensitization is a, is a concept that's been in the field for 20 or more years. It really is uh, an expansion of some earlier theories about how we experience unpleasant sensations. What the concept of central sensitization does is it looks at the, the symptom problem that any given patient is presenting with through the eyes of a change in the sensory and motor pathways within the nervous system. And so Often there will be inputs coming from different parts of the sensory system that can get amplified over time, perhaps with repetitive stimulation, perhaps from an injury or other uh, inciting circumstance. And ultimately all those sensations go to the somatosensory cortex, the body map in the brain that registers our sensations. And that part of the brain can get sensitized. So I often kind of summarize it with patients and providers that Ultimately, once that pathway is augmented through several neuroplastic processes, you get a louder message from the body, a more sensitive receiver in the brain. It takes less to hurt, more things cause the hurt, fewer things help the hurt, and the hurt lasts longer. And that's a point where both patient and practitioner can get very frustrated. The patient feels discouraged and stressed out and confused because this is a problem that should be fixed. The provider often runs out of tools and gets frustrated that they can't make it better. And so then paradoxically, you get an additional level of psychosocial stress on top of everything, because now you've got an intractable problem that no one can seem to help. And the person's life is becoming more and more impaired by that. So that's the, the model we often use with a number of chronic conditions, but chronic headache and, and chronic migraine in particular seem to fit that very well. There begin to be several um, sources of input that can make the headache pattern worse. I think the classic medical condition where we attribute central sensitization to is the uh, patient with fibromyalgia. Yes. And that has really changed our thinking on that medical condition. So how can interdisciplinary pain centers be helpful in management of these patients? So what we do is if we go back to the idea of, of central sensitization and we start to acknowledge the fact that because these pathways have been uh, potentially permanently augmented through the neuroplastic uh, processes, I often think about it as really moving our focus away from a somatic treatment because ultimately you can't unsensitize sensitized sensors and you can't necessarily turn it off in this part of the brain. And we pivot towards four areas that we can intervene on that I, I often refer to as the reactive and maintaining factors, physical deconditioning, emotional distress, 
behavioral dysregulation and pain behaviors, and then chemicals. And the way I describe it is that those four areas now have turned into sources of fuel for this sensory forest fire, if you will. And if you look at it in a forest fire model, you don't put a forest fire out with just enough water. You've really got to cut the fuel off the fire and contain it. And so in an interdisciplinary approach, we work on whole body physical reconditioning. We try to help the person regain some level of increased aerobic capacity, strength, and stamina, because we find that that not only helps with the physical um, nature of dealing with their pain, but also gives them an ability to reintegrate within their activities and, and daily goals. Emotional distress, we know terrifically feeds central sensitization and headaches are a classic example. Whether we believe the mechanism is primarily stress or not, even migraineurs will say that post-stress, they often have a migraine flare because their body's reacting to that stressor. So we deal with stress management. Behaviorally, we often see a pattern in our patients of what we call pushing and crashing. There's often overactivity followed by prolonged recovery, and they get into this destabilized behavioral pattern where they find themselves more and more limited and more and more deconditioned. And then also the concept of pain behaviors, which I define as anything a person says, does, or thinks that reminds themselves or others that they're having symptoms. And all that preoccupation and all that talking about and all that focus on symptoms lights up the very pathways that the primary pain problem lights up. And then finally, with the medicines, whether it's a potentially addicting medicine or not, as we mentioned earlier, they lose their effectiveness and there are less and less options from a pharmaceutical perspective. Could you talk a little bit about the psychosocial variables of chronic pain? Sure. So a couple of the prominent ones that we address, as I was mentioning just a minute ago, are particularly anxiety and depression. With anxiety, most humans seek comfort and control. And when we're looking in the face of a medical condition that fosters discomfort and lack of control, we inherently feel anxious. And whether our patients have a primary anxiety disorder or not, we do focus from a cognitive behavioral perspective on how to help them manage that anxiety. And, and one of the anxiety things that we notice specifically in headache patients is their anxiety about triggering events. Many headache patients have been told to keep a diary to figure out what might trigger the headache. And the logic of that is clear. However, when the problem becomes chronic, we also notice that our headache patients begin to become excessively avoidant of even normal levels of stimulation. And so we'll have patients come into our program wearing hats and dark sunglasses and sound dampening devices, and even normal to even sub-threshold levels of stimulation are bothersome for them. And so we work to expose them to that anxiety about stimulus. Depression. One of the core theories of depression from a cognitive over perspective is learned helplessness. When a person sees their problem as enduring and out of their control, they inherently adopt a, a posture of helplessness, like they just sort of give up. And so by empowering them through the program and teaching them some skills and strategies, the social support, all of that really helps fight the depression as well. And so those are two big variables that we look at. We also look at the person's social situation. 
Are there family models of chronic pain? Maybe there are other individuals in the family that also suffer from chronic headaches. Maybe there's a intense somatic focus within the family. We're all familiar with families that had a tincture for everything. The medicine cabinet was full of remedies. And we also know families that downplayed pain, you know, rub a little dirt in it, you'll be fine kind of an approach. And so how does a family respond? What has this done to their sense of, of being in the community? Uh, you know, do they feel kind of marginalized? Have they lost jobs or other opportunities? And so those are a lot of the things that we look at primarily. One additional area of importance, and I, and I want to mention this for clarity, is past life experiences. And this is a little bit off topic, but I think it pertains. There's a growing literature on adverse childhood experiences, this idea that children that have adverse experiences either with poverty or abuse or neglect or other things are more prone to chronic health and mental health issues as adults. However, I will hasten to add for our audience, it is incorrect to assume that everyone that has a chronic health issue or a chronic pain issue has suffered from abuse. I want to just be very clear about that because there's been a sort of a historical assumption that if you've got a hard to treat pain problem, something probably bad happened to you that you haven't gotten over. And that may be the case, but that's not universal by any means. So what are the goals of management in pain rehab? So our primary goal is to help the individual regain an independent, self-sufficient lifestyle that is less focused on pain and treatment of pain and sort of re-entering society as, as a contributing member. And the subparts of that are to help them reduce and eliminate many of the medicines they become dependent on. We even work to help them get off some of the chronic headache medicines, even though we know those aren't primarily addicting, it's just the over-reliance on chemistry can often lead them to a dependent stance and, and cause some of the physiologic changes. But we also work, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, on fitness. We, we want them to get fit for life so that they can re-enter daily activities and have some confidence with that. And then finally, practicing moderation and time management so they can get back to achieving and maintaining a lifestyle that they enjoy, but also one that's productive and satisfying for them and, and those around them. Well, you work in an interdisciplinary team. In addition to psychology, what other specialties are represented in your team? So on our team, we have physical and occupational therapists. Our medical staff includes RNs, APPs, and physicians, and we all contribute on a regular basis given our area of discipline. So our patients have regular physical therapy, which is really supervised exercise in our clinic. They work with the occupational therapists on time management and modifications and things like that. And then our medical staff is primarily responsible for overseeing the health of our patients, but also helping them reduce and eliminate the medicines that we've targeted. Are there any basic tenets or maybe assumptions underlying treatment principles in the pain management and an interdisciplinary team? Yes, I think the first and foremost is we expect our patients to be active participants in the treatment process. For our audience today, if you think about it, so much of medicine is really passively receiving some level of care, taking a prescription your doctor wrote for you, or going to a manual physical therapist or getting a shot. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But when the problems become chronic, we really want to empower our patients to become active 
members in their treatment process. And I often will tell them, we put the onus of improvement on the person with the problem. We'll coach, we'll guide, but we also expect their active participation. So that's probably the primary one. We also expect from our patients that they can learn and change their reaction to their symptoms. And it's not mind over matter, and it's not pretending it's not a problem. It's just addressing it differently so that they can have a successful future. Well, what are the objectives in your approach to pain rehab? The primary objectives are determination. We also work a lot on helping the patient regain some self-efficacy, that is some confidence in their ability to be active, maybe get back to work or school or community involvement. So it's really, I think that if you wanted to sum it up in one word, it's really empowerment. We're, our main objective is empowering our patients. Do you encourage patients to seek complete relief of headaches, improvement, dealing with headaches? How do you handle that part? Very important question. Uh, I'm going to answer it in, in two parts, actually. Number one, our pain rehabilitation intervention, I tell patients this all the time, particularly with migraine headaches, we see the greatest reduction in frequency and severity of headaches of almost any pain problem that we treat. It is one of the most responsive pain problems that we encounter in our program. And I think it's for many of the reasons we've already discussed. But we also are very forthright with our patients and their families that our approach is to help them to function better so they can feel better. It's not primarily focusing on their feelings. Because at the point that we encounter them, there's really nothing that's going to stop their symptoms. But if we can reduce the impact of their symptoms and help them work through them, that's when we often see the symptoms are reduced. So we never promise pain relief, but we do promise strategies to deal with it, which ultimately reduce the symptom burden. Okay. Now, this next question, you could probably spend an hour on this one alone, <laughs> but... Uh... Try to simplify it as much as you can. Can you give us some examples of specific techniques that you use in pain rehab? Sure. A couple that come to mind. One of them is how to deal with a difficult day. We actually have several classes on this with our patients. And I tell our patients, a difficult day is a very individual experience. In the case of headache, this might be a day where the migraine or the headache is just prominent. It's a 10 out of 10 they feel nauseous. They just want to go lay down and take a pill. For other patients with different symptom patterns, it has different meaning. But we teach them on a difficult day to not make radical deviations from their normal plans, but to make slight modifications. Because before coming to us, a lot of migraineurs in particular, if they're having a difficult day, they will medicate, go to a dark room, put an ice pack on their head, have it be very quiet, try to sleep it off. And all of those patterns of trying to treat the symptoms, weaken them, sensitize them, and pull them out of life. And so we teach them that when you're having a difficult day, a headache flare, whatever that looks like, practice diaphragmatic breathing, continue to work on your daily activities, try to maintain some physical activity, and work through it, don't try to stop it. I'll use an, an example I often use in group, that of driving through a storm. Daryl, you're up in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. We're familiar with driving in snowstorms. Some of our audience might not be familiar with that pleasure. But when you're in a storm driving, the rules of the road are don't hit the gas, don't hit the brakes, don't oversteer. 
and you work to keep your car in the lane, you might slow down your progress a little bit, but you're still heading down the road. And then when the storm clears, you can resume your speed. So when I talk with patients, I say, you know, on a difficult day, just back off a little bit. Don't completely abandon the plan. Don't overreact and work through it. And so that I found is a very powerful tool for a lot of our patients. And be optimistic that spring's ahead and the good weather will eventually get. <laughs> exactly. And they, or the snowplow will come. <laughs> yes, either one. <laughs> well, it, it's obvious that you're not going to accomplish all this in a 30-minute office visit. So right. what, what is the typical duration of treatment for these patients? And is it a defined time period? Or do these patients continue to need periodic follow-up? I'm going to start with sort of the optimal solution for severe headache patients. And that is a program like ours, which is a three-week day treatment program. It's Monday through Friday, 8 to 4.30 with a comprehensive interdisciplinary team like we've talked about. I start with that with the full and complete knowledge that these are ex exceedingly rare programs. And at Mayo, we happen to be blessed to have three at the three different sites, Arizona, Minnesota, and Florida. But I know most of our audience maybe has never even heard of this or certainly doesn't have this in their local community. So working down the continuum for a more long-term approach, I encourage practitioners to think about addressing as soon as they can with the patient, some reasonable expectations for what we're going to be able to do. I think it's very important for practitioners to not over-promise and then under-deliver. And with headache patients, that's a common mistake. So being realistic, we're going to work on a plan with you to help you maintain the lifestyle that you want. We're going to try to keep you as comfortable as we can, but we can't promise complete symptom relief. And in that effort, even in most local communities, I would employ some level of fitness engagement, whether it's with a personal trainer, a YMCA, a physical therapy office that does general conditioning, along with a counselor or a psychologist or somebody that can help with stress management, and then working as a team so that the physician as the team leader would look at the medication use, the frequency of headaches, but keep a very cautious eye on polypharmacy and overprescribing, but then in coordination with having this person work on some physical fitness, some lifestyle management, that can often be realistically accomplished in most communities. Well, Chris, you've given us evidence in the recent here that this is effective in terms of managing these patients. Is there any work that's been done on looking at whether it's cost effective? There has been. This is more of a general answer, not just specifically with headaches. But several years ago, we cooperated with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Florida and conducted an economic analysis of our program. And this was a first of its kind study. Blue Cross actually analyzed their literal dollars spent on patients before and after PRC. And they went back 18 months pre-PRC and followed up to 18 months after graduation and found that the first three to six months after graduation, they were already saving over 70% on overall health costs compared to the three to the six months before the program. In fact, their data analyst told me that within six months, our program pays for itself. And it pays for itself within the domains of fewer ER visits, less medications, less specialty care visits. We're, our patients are literally able to 
be less of a burden on the medical system, which saves everybody money, let alone the insurance companies. So it is an important concept to keep in mind because up front there is a cost and, and it's especially for our program is rather significant, but the payoff is also really significant in the long term. Well, Chris, you've given us some really enlightening news about how to manage these very, very challenging patients. And maybe we can uh, summarize our discussion by if you can give us some of the benefits of managing chronic headache pain with an interdisciplinary pain rehab team. Sure. I think the more team members the better for any chronic situation, because on behalf of the professionals, it allows each person to do what they're good at, and it prevents burnout. I think the individual practitioner in the clinic can be very prone to getting frustrated when these intractable situations present themselves. So I think the the professional social support element is very important, but then also that the patient is getting a very explicit message that it's not just going to be one trick or tool that's going to be applied. There's going to be a toolbox that we're going to use, and we're going to give you the tools for you to manage this on your own. I think those are the biggest takeaways. Well, we've been discussing an interdisciplinary pain rehab approach to patients with chronic headaches with Dr. Christopher Sletton, a psychologist at the Mayo Clinic. Chris, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. This is really exciting news, and I I wish you'd had this program available for the last 40 years because I've (laughs) struggled with these patients for that long. Well, thank you, Daryl. It's been a great pleasure to join you. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.